Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review. <laughs> that image is so stretched out. I cannot abide. Sorry. Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga review episode. It is Kirinor Holmeswealth the 28th, and my name is Adam. Today I'm going to give you my spoiler review of the Kaganesty. And that's right. I'm going to say it that way the whole review. So if you don't like it, deal with it. <laughs> uh, I... This is by Douglas Niles. I will be spoiling this story, so if you don't want to know it, stop watching now. I would like to take a moment and thank the members of this YouTube channel. I invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the links in the description below. And you can always pick up Dragonlance Gaming materials using my affiliate links. Now, this is my perspective only. So if you have any thoughts that differ, or you just want to share your own original ideas, or you want to argue my thoughts, do it in YouTube chat if you're watching live, or throw in a comment after the fact. You're always welcome. I like dissenting ideas. That's how we grow as humans. Now, the way these work, if this is your first review you're watching of this show, then uh, I'm going to give you my pre-written review, and I'm just going to sort of read it out to you, and then we'll just sort of riff. So throughout my review, throw up your comments, throw up your thoughts, and then afterward, we'll just sort of riff a little bit on whatever you guys have to say, and we'll just have a good time. Chris, thanks for joining live. How you doing, Solid Comby? How you doing? Uh, Woodland Goblin. All right. I like the name. Good to see you. Thanks for tuning in live. Lance Vandertooth. I dig that. Have read the Dragonlance books yourself. Having owned nearly every book, this is one of your favorites. You enjoy how the Kaganesty were able to survive through the Dragon Wars. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it, too. All right. Let's get into this. Book one is set during the first Dragon War, before the elves were unified under Sylvanos. We're following Kagonos as he is racing through the wilderness to look upon a goat that has <laughs> spied in the past. He sees a Sylvanesty named Quithas, who has struck the, gro uh, the goat with an arrow from atop a griffin, and before he can kill the goat, Kagonos steps in, and he refuses to let Quithas kill the goat, and then they sort of struggle and fight back and forth, with Kagonos besting Quithas and threatening to kill him if he doesn't back down. He then takes Quithas's axe, a gift from Sylvanos, and Quithas leaves upset. I was bothered by the fact that the Elven Nation trilogy says that the elves didn't use griffins as mounts until Kith Cannon. Yet, in this book, we're led to believe that there are many griffin riders to fight the dragons in the first dragon war. Now, this would be a simple fix if Douglas Niles just recalled that he wrote the book that said that. It's in the Elven Nations trilogy. He wrote it. The lack of consistency is maddening to me. All right. Other than that, Kagonis approaches the grandfather goat, which actually speaks to him, thanking him, and he nurses it back to help. Health. The goat transforms into a massive silver dragon named Darlington. The dragon tells Kagonos that he is the true pathfinder of the Elderwild, and that he would be honored if he swore to never take a wife or enter the Sylvanesty territory. Not honored as in personally honored, but Kagonos himself would be honored to be the pathfinder if he did not go into the Sylvanesty territory or take a wife. I don't know what a wife has to do with anything. Like, taking, if you're into girls, taking a wife is pretty awesome. <laughs> Just from personal experience. But, I don't know. Monks and Kigonas, apparently, not, not too down with it. So he's instructed to use the horn when he's in danger, as he's given one of the horns from the Grandfather Ram. And uh, the, the Silver Dragons would always come to his aid if he blew the horn. This binds the Elderwild Elves with the Silver Dragons for all time. 
Then we fast forward to the war efforts, and a blue dragon stone was taken by the Dark Queen's ogre forces. The elves were trapping the dragons in the dragon stones in order to win the war. Kagonos goes after the blue dragon stone and leads a raiding party into the ogre encampment, ultimately getting it back when Quithas, now a general in the war, arrives to collect it for Sylvanos. Quithas hates Kagonos and is in a worse mood as he just lost his son in the war. He threatens him, takes the stone, and leaves. The Kagonos goes to meet with Sylvanos, who offers him a place in Sylvanesty as house servitor, which Kagonos obviously refuses. How can anyone who is just newly making their nation think that someone else would think it's an honor to be a servant in their house? <laughs> How could that ever be a good thing? I, I, I don't understand it. Yeah, I clearly don't see you as an equal, but you can come in the house as long as you wipe your feet and you're a servant. Then you can enjoy the opulence of my new nation. All right, well, you can just... <laughs> All right. So anyway, he is then summoned to Darlington, who is dying, the dragon. Kigonos reinforces his pledge to the worm, and Darlington dies from his wounds in the war. Quithas then arrives, telling Kigonos that he is going to die, and his people are going to be welcomed into Sylvanesty despite his wishes. Enraged, Kigonos fights and beheads Quithas and races back to Sylvanos with the head realizes it's probably not going to be a good idea if he walks in with their general's head and then just sort of flings it to the side. So, you know, some rando elven child is going to run across Quithas's head in the forest. It is inevitable. Pretty gruesome, but I dig it. All right. So he tells them what happened, and they are kind of beside themselves. They initially don't believe it, and then they sort of come around. He ultimately refuses to join Sylvanesty again and blows the horn. Every elf that approaches him, basically taking sides, sees that their tattoos, which at this point are just like paint, like burn into tattoos. They like become inflamed and fire and stuff comes out of this, each of the little spirals and everything. Pretty cool imagery. Um, that, in that point, Sylvanos then tells Kagonos that his people will now be known instead of the Elder Wild as the Kagonesty. I love how they depict the struggles between these elves, even while they're actively at war with dragons. And the foresight of Kagonos of the enslavement of his people by the Sylvanesty. Liberty is never given. It has to be taken, whether it's in the real world or in fantasy novels. And it takes a vigorous democratic system in order to maintain that liberty. The Kigonesty knew this, and through their use of their passions of the old ways, rather than their political system to maintain their liberty, um, it's just a refreshing way of seeing that idea maintained even in a fantasy setting. Because it's true. <laughs> it takes dead people, unfortunately. So the second book is set during the Third Dragon War, centuries later, after Quilinesty has been built. We are now following a character called Ashtaway, who is the nephew of the new Pathfinder, Wallachy. Ash is looking to meet a girl named Hamana. When he hears a horn call, he races to its source, thinking that it's his uncle, because his uncle is the Pathfinder, and he actually sees Knights of Salamnia fighting red dragons in the distance. And he sort of stops and watches until what it looks like the knights are all murdered by the red dragons. And he's just sort of struck by 
how effective the knights were and how brave they were for facing these ancient worms and how absurd it was that they would do that in the first place because it's so against contrast it's, it's so indirect contrast with how the Kaganesti warriors fight themselves so um, then he continues on and meets Hamana en route to the call they meet a silver dragon named Lectral. Lectral is wounded from the war and warns about the dark queen looking to reinforce her territory as she fears a knight named Huma Hamana is the healer, the daughter of a shaman, and takes care of the silver dragon as Ash goes off hunting for food. He collects a deer for the dragon and one for himself and then returns to his village. He discovers Bakali have raided his village, and Bakali are lizard creatures, if you guys haven't watched my videos or if you're not familiar. Um, he raided his village and murdered many warriors. So he draws their attention and begins picking them off as they chase him through the woods, as he discovers his uncle is going back into the village in order to collect the ram's horn, which is the, the symbol of the Pathfinder. So he aids in retrieving the horn as the Bikali burn the village and the Kaganesti flee their village together. They regroup outside and they argue about what they need to do next. Uh, they need to look for a new home as the Bikali now know of their location. They're probably going to keep coming back or they need to enact revenge on the Bikali. Uh, Iadaway the Pathfinder, decides that they will return to camp to enact revenge, then look for a new home. The warriors all return with the Pathfinder and begin slaughtering the Bacali. As they start to flee the Bacali, they're met in their flank by a knight of Salamnia. This is the same knight that Ash watched fight the dragons and seemingly die. But he helps the elves defeat every single last Bacali. The knight's name is Sir Camford Willis, Knight of the Rose. He tells the story about how trying to find a way to sanction with the knights to destroy the supply lines of the Dark Queen. And that's what sort of how he ended up where he ended up. The elves very much distrust the knight and they're actively ready to murder him as he is a human, which is the activity that all elves take because again, we know that humans only do one thing and that is create and destroy and take and take and take in Dragonlance. And they've been doing it to the woods, which means the Kaganesti are actively opposed to them. So, <laughs> I just totally lost my place. Uh, Ash actually vouches for the Knight of Salamnia as he was impressed by the Knight's honor and his skill in combat. Then he's called to his uncle Idaway. He was wounded in the attack and is actively dying, but before he dies, he hears Ash's story about the silver dragon and its horn, and he grants the horn to Ash, his own grandfather, uh, Ramhorn, who will be the new Pathfinder and leader of their tribe. Ash doesn't want it, as he wants to marry Hamana, and marriage is against the Pathfinder way, but he accepts the charge anyway. He returns to the knight and tells him that he knows a way through the mountains to sanction, and he will lead his knights. This sets the Kaganesti in alarm, but because he's the Pathfinder, they respect his judgment. Ash makes plans to meet Sir Camford and returns to Lectral and Hamana. She sees that he is the Pathfinder at this point and grows really, really cold to him. She was digging him as well, and now they can't be together, so she's a little bit hurt, as Pathfinders cannot marry and she loves Ash. So the dragon is healing up well and vouches for the Knights of Salamnia for being honorable and good, and shares the idea that many of the races that the Kaganesti have hated for generations have a lot of really good people among them, and that the dragon teaches, uh, tries to teach Ash that he needs to be tolerant and accepting of people until they sort of do him wrong. 
rather than just literally murdering them all on sight, which is what they've been doing for thousands of years. So Ash meets the knights when they return 100 strong and leads them through the mountains to sanction. You naturally have an arrogant knight interaction with Ash, but it's managed by Sir Camford. I, I, I'm of two minds about these. We've Ever since Derek Crownguard, every single group of Knights of Salamnia has the asshole. Everyone's got to have a Derek Crownguard amongst them. And it's really frustrating because it really paints the knighthood as a monolith. Like, they are all this way. And yes... They had to present that narrative in order to really elevate Sturm Brightblade as exceptional and different amongst all the other Knights of Salamnia. And in doing so, also elevating Lord Gunther Uthwistan. But, after so many years and so many stories, you kind of get tired of the same old tropes. And I kind of wish they would just have a Knight of Salamnia that's, you know, not a dick all the time. It would be nice. <laughs> anyway... They finally arrive in the mountains around Sanction and the Lords of Doom, and the knights enter the city and start, like, destroying the storehouses and any creature willing to fight them. Ash sees an ogre slayer whipping what he looks, it appears to be dwarves. He shoots him with an arrow, killing him, and it ended up being gully dwarves, and he frees them all, who then tell him of the tunnels that go all the way through the mountains. Then, Ash sees dragons coming to protect Sanction. Many of the knights die before Ash directs them all into the tunnels, and the gully dwarf Highbulp agrees to guide them to safety as the arrogant knight ends up standing up directly to the dragons, sacrificing himself in order to allow everyone else to escape. That's the part of the knighthood that I adore more than anything else. All of this is ingrained in Ash's mind at this point, as he grows more and more respectful and fond of toward the knights and their tactics. Ash thanks the gully dwarf Highbolt Tufer, <laughs> which is, I love gully dwarves, and names him a pathfinder as well. The knights, now on the other side of the mountain, regroup with only 60 of the 100 left and ultimately return to Salamnia. Ash takes a long time to return home, sort of reflecting on everything that he's experienced thus far. He decides he's going to be a different pathfinder and evolve what it means to be a pathfinder he returns to hamana and asks for her hand in marriage and she says that or he says that he will lead his tribe differently than the past pathfinders have lectral the silver dragon respects the changes and ash returns to his people with hamana they arrive and ash asks hamana's father for permission to marry her everyone is thrilled by the news and accepts the changes that the new pathfinder decrees the final book in this novel, oh, and then the electoral dragon comes and says that, you know, he's got to leave and his, I think it's his daughter dragon comes and takes him away. His wing was wounded because he could, so he couldn't fly away. So the final book in this novel is set a thousand years later and a little over a dozen years before the cataclysm initially. We follow the new warrior, Idaho, which I don't know if I'm saying this right, but it's spelled, I'm assuming that's an I. I-Y-D-A-H-O-E. Idaho. <laughs> the whole time I'm thinking, is he calling himself a hoe? Like, with this name? As a hoe. So anyway, Idaho of the Whitetail Village. Uh, so Ishtar Elysionaires have been destroying the Silver Trout Village, one of the four Kagonsti villages that each of them know of. He finds the Pathfinder dead and the ram's horn completely shattered. He collects the fragments of the horn, and Idaho rushes back to his home to tell everyone and his father, Hawken, the shaman. He is away 
uh, in one of his regular spirit walks. So he then tells the clan chief, who refuses to believe him initially, but Idaho chooses him, uh, I'm sorry, shows him the horn fragments. That's a spelling error that I thought I had corrected already, which I did not. Uh, the chief then sends warriors to the other two tribal villages to see what they have to say about this. As Idaho goes out to take the young ones to go fish, he hears iron men and horses, but he doesn't see anyone until an invisibility spell drops and a gray wizard is directing the soldiers. I'm not sure how to feel about the gray wizard in this final story because he's working for the king priest. The king priest hated and distrusted wizards so much that he ran entire campaigns of war against them, especially at this time period. So I don't know why he would trust a gray wizard. The gray wizard must be a renegade and not part of the orders of high sorcery because he's wearing gray robes and not white, red, or black. So maybe he's a renegade wizard. It never really explains it. It doesn't really have to, but for people like me who are sort of obsessive about the lore of Dragonlance, I really like to know. I guess I'm just going to have to ask Douglas Niles. Idaho rushes back to his village to warn everyone, and the battle is on. For some reason, the Ishtar legionnaires are exterminating the Kaganesti one village at a time. As many of the villages are dying against the well-trained, equipped, and insurmountable numbers of troops, Idaho flees with as many elves as he can uh, to a hidden cove that he discovered years before. There, the remaining Kaganesti live for years. All of the four tribal villages were utterly destroyed, leaving Istar to believe that they exterminated all of the Kaganesti elves. Rage consumes Idaho, and he frequently goes out to hunt legionnaires as they enter his forest. He sees that the Istar troops have been marking the trees for some reason, and for years he's been murdering all of them. Idaho is called to another warrior who is a house elf, or Sylvanesty as we know them, who was captured. He tells them that the king priest is building a road to connect the world, and they want to build it through these forests, which is why they had to exterminate all the local people. Then the house elf attacks them. Idaho kills him and returns to camp to relay the story. One of the younger warriors joins him on a journey to hunt the troops, and they find a massive caravan of Ishtar troops and house elves willingly with the troops. They're on a journey to Istar to sing to the king priest until they're ambushed. The Kaganesti kill many of the troopers until the house elf cleric charms the warrior that's with Idaho, who evades, I'm a, who, sorry, just walks down and enters their wagon. Then the gray wizard summons a fire elemental to find and kill Idaho, who ultimately, of course, evades the elemental after realizing he cannot kill it. Then when the caravan leaves to set up camp, Idaho sneaks into the camp in order to save his warrior friend, only to be caught by the wizard who was invisible watching him enter the wagon. I love the idea that the wizard is just sitting there picking his teeth, waiting, and then just sees the Kaganasi elf walk right in front of him. He's just like, All right, I'm just going to wait for a second. And he's like, web! <laughs> just... Totally surprises him. I, I like the idea that even as effective and efficient the Kaganesti have always been portrayed, certainly in the Elven Nations trilogy and in this book so far, even they are flawed and they can be snuck up on, they can be surprised. It just makes it a little bit more believable, you know what I mean? So he captures him with a web spell and they plan to burn him and his warrior friend at the stake. The elven cleric intervenes, wishing to grant them peace by learning of Mishakal. Have you heard the good news? Uh, and he's readying to tell him when the house elf Lorelon 
appears magically in the wagon with everyone and takes the cleric away saying that Istar is doomed and they have to leave Kryn. Everyone else is watching this. Everyone knows he's saying, yeah, this world is ending. So let's hightail it out of here. And uh, you all, you, <laughs> I, was, I couldn't believe like the nerve. Come and whisper in his ear, send him a telepathy, like ESP message or something. But you're like abandoning all these other people right in front of them. Just kind of a dick move. Anyway. The whole idea... I, I'm sorry, I gotta go on this rant for a second. The whole idea of all of the true clerics leaving Kryn. That is not something clerics would do. Like, if, if you're called to serve your god, and the purpose of that is to serve mortals of this land and protect them and heal them when your god then comes and says you know what f these dudes let's get the f out and you're just like awesome throwing your books in the air and just <laughs> running with them you were never really a good cleric in the first place so if you were a good cleric you'd be like mm, you know I, I like what you're saying but these people are screwed i've served humanity or mortals for all of my life that's my calling i'm gonna stay and serve them why would you just up and leave that's just the worst <laughs> anyway so the wizard takes up the staff in order to kill idaho as the young elf the cleric's daughter and singer casts sticks to snakes or snakes to sticks on the staff Idaho ends up killing the wizard and they all use his invisibility powder to escape the encampment. The female's, the female house elf's name is Venetia and she agrees to join the Kaganesti clan, but when they return to find Idaho's father, the shaman Hawken, they find that he was also taken by Lorelon. Even his dad abandoned him! And it wouldn't be so bad if there wasn't a story in the tales to Dragonlance truly, like, um, uh, anthology that actually is about this very thing where a cleric is presented with the idea of leaving and he's like no I'm, i gotta help my sister or i gotta help my girlfriend or whatever it was can't really remember this moment but he refused to go which is the logical choice i'll tell you what if for some reason i was ever asked by some divine entity to abandon my family no never i would not do that that's the most <laughs> selfish thing one could do if you're an evil or neutral cleric i get it that's that's how you roll but if you're a good cleric no way you would not abandon them all right i'll stop harping on it then the sky and forest turn against everyone as venetia explains lorlon prophesied all this years ago she doesn't know the whole prophecy only that there will be like 13 signs before the end of time then after days an ancient elf just appears outside the village it never explains who this ancient elf is, but I suspect it was Paladine. The elves are Paladine's creatures. Like, he created them and bestowed them on Kryn. He loves them more than any other mortal. I think he's the one that saved their butts, but it never explains it, so you don't really know. Anyway, as Idaho approaches the old man, asking him to join them in safety of his hut and sort of break fast, the old elf tells them to seek the ancient Pathfinder and then vanishes. 
So immediately, Idaho recalls the story of the grandfather ram, and they all race away into the mountains. When they reach the summit, they witness the mountain crash into Kryn, destroying Istar. They're all rocked and shaken by the massive earthquake and aftermath, and they stumble off as they see the sea rising, swallowing the land around them, splitting the land into a bunch of different bits. Uh, they barely make it away to see the sea calming as Idaho is led by a vision of the grandfather ram to a new horn. He accepts this new horn and is the new pathfinder, and the last Kaganasi tribe learns in the years that follow that other Kaganasi did in fact survive in the Isles to the west, and that they return to their ancient ways in the forest. This was a great series of stories about the foundation of the Kaganasi elves. There were errors in the novel itself that I felt should have been noticed by an editor, and the whole griffin writing inconsistency was off-putting, but I really appreciated seeing the Kaganasi lifestyle and customs. It only makes me appreciate them more and reflect on how peaceful and rage-filled these more native elves could be. I can't help but reflect back on being a child and learning about the native peoples of the Americas. I was always taught that they were nature-loving and peaceful peoples, but after learning about their history as an adult, I learned that they were actually slavers and warmongers every bit as bad as Europeans who exterminated them for the most part. Now, this is not to justify any actions, only to compare and contrast on the realities of a people who are often misunderstood to their own detriment, much like the Kaganasty. If you enjoy elves or Dragonlance history, you will definitely appreciate and enjoy this novel. Alright, what do you guys have to say about all of this? This was a fun read. I had a really good time. You don't mind the pronunciations after ski? It's not sky. I learned to accept it. Uh, you know people give you a hard time on that one. Yeah, they do. And no one understands that in English, I-E is pronounced E, not I. But, oh well. The Dargonesty book links the Western elves to them. Oh, that's cool, because that's the one I'm reading next. All right, so, yeah, continuity. <laughs> I love that name. Um, let's see. They're proto-draconians later in the books, but they're called by a different name. Yeah, the proto-Draconians are different. I mean, they're slisks or something like that. Anyway, there, there's like three different types of proto-Draconians. One of them in the river when the Plainsman book, and then others that were found up in Talada's. And they were really cool too. I have videos about all of those. So you can make the case that the Kaganasti are the truest form of elves that the gods have good intended. I agree. You'd agree with uh, that, though it would seem that only more neutral gods made Mishikal came to the Kaganasti more than Paladine did. Possibly. Uh, what's up, Kendra Kisser? So homie. Kendra Kissing is always a treat. That's true, as long as it's consensual and you're adults. Then kiss whoever you want. So uh, every knight group has a Derek Crown Guard. For sure, you call them Paladins. What? Hey, Jeff, thanks for joining live. You'd argue that it showed the factionalism within the knights can't ever die, sadly. I actually, yeah, I appreciate that, Lance. I, uh, I agree 100%. And there have to be those that sort of tow that measure by the word line more than others that would prefer to just live in the spirit of the code and the measure. But it just gets tiring. You're like, oh, there's Derek Krangard <laughs> in every story. So let's see. <clears throat> Pardon me. Being a woodcutter on the edge of an elven forest is a dangerous gig. Dude, they would murder people. Just not even talk to them or anything. Just, oh, you're in my area? Die. Crazy. 
elves are they're no joke. So as dangerous as collecting goblin ears too, while scaring the elven borders towards the Tower of High Sorcery and Weira. Yeah, yeah, that would be bad. Idaho, <laughs> Duncan, Idaho. Yeah, <laughs> renegade. He was a renegade or brown. Brown says they refuse the rest. Oh, the test. Okay. All right. Well, I like that. I mean, I feel like even Magius wore gray robes and multicolored robes and all of the orders robes. So I'm not a huge stickler for it. I know renegades exist on Kryn. I just wish they would make some mention because he was clearly working with the king priest and everyone knows that the king priest was trying to destroy all of the wizards, the wizards of high sorcery. So that's why it bugged me. Anyway, what if your family had been really annoyed at the divine being was super cool? All right, you know what? That's true. What if my family was just not being asses for like the last week and I was just in a, in a mood? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, you know what? They refused to give the remote control. Uh, they always make me sit in the worst place on the couch. I think, I think I'm going to leave them. <laughs> Let's just do it. You just finished reading the first book of the King Priest Trilogy recently for the first time. Best non-Wise Hickman book ever. You loved it. I'm glad you, you enjoyed it. I love that trilogy. What a great fantasy saga. Hey, Ty Durden. How you doing? I hope, uh, well, we don't talk about it, so never mind. You feel like it doesn't get nearly enough respect. Could be made into a television series or movie. You're sure that this has all been said many times. You just wanted to weigh in. Hells to the yes, 100%. Yes, please, yes, please. Next week, I just did a, a, a video about the Tower of the High Clarist, the High Clarist's Tower, and uh, or Dragon Death, depending on when you, you want to learn about it. Incredibly fascinating, and arguably the best fantasy dungeon above ground in any fantasy series ever. It's amazing. Not only is it a rich, interesting history, but it's also freaking haunted. <laughs> Like, it's amazing. And no one ever talks about it. Like, it, I just think that uh, on-screen representation of the High Clarist's Tower would be the bomb. It would be amazing. I just, I gotta see it. And then you gotta see the dragon perspective of flying down onto it, strafing it with lightning bolts. And, oh, God, it'd be so dope. Anyway. All right. You wish they would include a map. Yeah, me too, Lance. My biggest problem about this is that it it leads you to believe that in the Age of Might and before, before the Cataclysm, the entire southern region was nothing but, of Ancelon, was nothing but forests, like dense, thick forests. All the way from Sylvanesty, all the way over, actually from Balafor, all the way over to, um, well, where southern Ergoth ends up being, right? And that anything north of that was just mountainous. But the way that they're describing the locations in this makes me think that these guys were actually in what's now considered Blood, the ogre's territory. Not west or south. But it was all forest terrain. And so the logic, the way they describe it is a little bit weird. They describe how they went in the mountains and they watched the new sea being formed after the cataclysm, which again... I love those apocalypse TV or films like 2012 and stuff like that. It just reminded me of that visually. Like that would be a great in-camera shot to see on, on like a big IMAX screen. But uh, 
it, the way that it described them being able to see the the Salamnic Plains, I was just like, wait a second, where the hell are they? That that doesn't make any sense. And the fact that he was just going to Sanction and he knew this like nice hunting trail, like how far away from Sanction was this forest village that they lived in? Because in my head, the geography doesn't match up. But what do I know? All right, so the, does the new Dragonlance novel that came out in August take place in the Fifth Age? No. So the Dragons of Destiny, I'm sorry, Dragons of um, Deceit, which is the first of the Dragonlance Destinies trilogy that came out last year in August, was set during and after the War of the Lance before the Blue Ladies War. The second one that's coming out this August, Dragons of Fate, is set in the Age of Might during the Third Dragon War. So it's a little bit wonky, and that probably is a huge spoiler, <laughs> but that's how it works. All right, so let's see. Um, the Trag, that's it. You're right, Chris. Best thing about the trilogy is the Wizards trilogy. I haven't read that one yet. I gotta, I gotta get that. High Claire's Tower is an awesome design tool if you ever play the other War Sim game with Derek. That would be a cool scenario. Oh, okay. Fifth Age book. Fifth Age has some great books. The only criticism you have about the map is that they should have shown four of the five tower locations. Obviously, keep away with the mystery. Yeah, the, the Tasselhoff's map pouches series do show where all of the other towers and ruins of towers are located and some of the books talk about where they're located as well so you can find out the information is out there the only chris oh, let's see uh you love a good fantasy map who doesn't all right well that's what i had for you guys thank you guys so much for tuning in that is it for my review of the kaganesty by douglas niles did you like the uh three books within this novel focusing on three different eras rather than one singular did you have a favorite era presented and finally will we ever accept the idea that all people have the capacity for compassion and destruction and acknowledge that both are integral to what it means to be a human you can email me at info at dlsaga.com or leave a comment below I would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click the like button. This all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. This channel is all about celebrating the wonderful world of the Dragonlance Saga, and I thank you for joining in that celebration. Once again, my name is Adam with Dragonlance Saga, and until next time, Salon Javar.